The TV fans are taking over. This is Across the Airwaves. Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of Across the Airways, the podcast dedicated to giving weekly TV show episode reviews, along with news and opinions on the entertainment industry. I'm Dan Schmidt, your host, because with me is a guy who I just cannot believe has put up with me for 200 episodes of this show. My co-host. Hey everybody, it's Nico and welcome to Across the Airways. On this week's episode, we continue the spring 2017 TV season with the season finale of Walking Dead and Michael and Tim's review of Supernatural, but no streaming review this week as I'm traveling and on the road, but check back in the coming weeks for more streaming records recommendations. But before all of that, we're going to kick everything off with the News with Nico section. Watch the haunting first Game of Thrones Season 7 teaser trailer right now. The HBO Fantasy series released the first quasi-glimpse at the upcoming season debuting Sunday, July 16th, which you can watch in the link in the ACC feed. Of course, it doesn't give too much away. We see three of Game of Thrones' primary players, Daenerys, Jon Snow, and Cersei, walking silently through the corridors of power as James's sit-down plays in the background, a hint for them to sit on the Iron Throne, perhaps. They each have a distinct kingdom to rule over, Daenerys in a stony room with a throne carved out of a rock, Jon Snow in what appears to be the common room at Castle Black, and Cersei in the Great Hall at King's Landing sitting on the Iron Throne with that new crown perched on her head. They're not alone, though. When Cersei exhales, we can see her breath, and the camera zooms out to reveal the icy blue eye of a White Walker. Oh yes, winter is always coming, isn't it? True Detective Eyes Season 3 Renewal with help from Deadwood Creator. HBO is reportedly reopening what many believe to be a cold case, True Detective. Not only has the series creator Nick Pizzolatto written several episodes for a possible third season, but according to EntertainmentWeekly.com, he's been working alongside David Milch from Deadwood and NYPD Blue. To keep all of this in perspective, though, a third season has not officially been ordered by HBO. Additionally, a showrunner for that said season has not been name. While the first season of the network's anthology series premiered to critical acclaim in 2014, not to mention a handful of nominations and wins at the Emmys and Golden Globes, its second outing wasn't received as warmly, leading many to wonder if the third season was even in the cards. The second season finale aired in August 2015, which means nearly two years have passed since True Detective has aired any new episodes. NBC will air the 2018 Winter Olympics live. NBC is embracing the future and won't be tape-delayed for the 2018 Winter Olympic Games. NBC Sports announced on Tuesday that the network will broadcast its Winter Olympic TV programming live across all time zones for the first time ever. The 2018 Winter Olympics will be held in Pyongyang, South Korea, which is 13 hours ahead of the East Coast and 16 hours ahead of the West Coast. Quote, nothing brings America together for two weeks like the Olympics, and that communal experience will now be shared across the country at the same time, both on television and streaming online, said Jim Bell, president of NBC Olympics Productions and Programming in in a statement earlier this week. That means social media won't be ahead of the action in any time zone, and as a result, none of our viewers will have to wait for anything. This is exciting news for the audience, the advertisers, and our affiliates alike. I agree, but as usual, NBC is about 12 to 15 years behind the times. This should have been done, and they seem to imply that it would be done if you watched on 
online, it would be this way all the way back in 2008 in Beijing. But they still time delayed that even, and it was a disaster. Twitter, Facebook, and Reddit make not broadcasting the Olympics live as a non-starter. Anyway, on most nights, coverage will begin at 8 p.m. Eastern and air live in each time zone. Primetime coverage of the games in all areas will be followed by the local news and then a Primetime Plus segment. The Primetime coverage will re-air after the Primetime Plus coverage airs. In previous years, viewers would have to wait for the Primetime footage to air at 8 p.m. in their home time zones, which put the later time zones in danger of being spoiled by social media before they could watch their favorite events. The opening ceremony is on February 9th, 2018, and the games officially start a day earlier than that on February 8th. New Girl Season 6 finale feels like the end. New Girl fans, brace yourselves. The Season 6 finale may double as the series finale. The sitcom has not yet been renewed for a seventh season, and its fate is still up in the air. So the show's executive producers, Dave Finkel and Brett Baer, made sure that they made the Season 6 finale, which airs on Tuesday on Fox, end at a place where fans will be satisfied if the story doesn't continue, but leaves room for more story if it does come back. Remember a few weeks ago when I said that New Girl star Jake Johnson had said he thought it was done? Well, this is pretty much why. Every character finishes the episode at a place that feels like the end of a chapter. My guess is this is done, and it's too bad because I still like this series. Doctor Who gets first openly gay companion. As if we weren't already jazzed up on the arrival of Bill to the Doctor Who-verse, on Friday, the BBC announced that the latest human sidekick to everyone's favorite two-hearted Time Lord is going to be the series' first openly gay companion. Now, before you get all riled up, yes, we know Bill isn't the first gay character on the series. Captain Jack has been around forever, and Madame Vestra and Jenny have been in the most recent Doctor's life for a while now, but she is the first full-time companion to be openly so. Honestly, I like this. I'm not sure how much I'm going to enjoy Pearl Mackey's Bill, but her being openly gay will not be the aspect that I don't like. I am all for inclusion and representation. There is a direct correlation between on-screen representation and wider acceptance and social equality growth, and for folks that the mainstream media has generally, intentionally or not, pushed into the background, moving them to the forefront and starring in something as cosmically huge and impactful as Doctor Who, one of the longest-running, most-watched shows in the history of television, is a dramatic sea change in terms of visibility. The best part is, Pearl has said that Bill being gay is part of her character but won't be the most interesting thing about Bill or even her defining feature. That is the right way to write a gay character into the series. Just like Captain Jack's pansexuality was not his defining feature, nor was it Vestra's and Jenny's. I'm glad they're not making it the defining feature of Bill. I think that will be what makes it work. Westworld promotes Lewis the Hertham. Westworld has upped Lewis Hertham to a series regular ahead of season two. The actor appeared in six episodes of HBO's sci-fi drama first season in playing Peter Abernathy, the father of Evan Rachel Woods, Dolores. His other TV credits include True Blood, Longmire, Narcos, and Breaking Bad. Hertham's promotion follows a recent similar bump for Tallulah Riley, who plays host Angela. Cash Cab Revival in the Works at Discovery. Here's another reason to hail a cab instead of ordering a Uber. Discovery is reviving the beloved game show Cash Cab. On Cash Cab, unsuspecting New York riders would get into host Ben Bailey's tricked-out cab and answer trivia questions for the chance to win money before they arrived at the destination. The show ran for six seasons from 2005 to 2012 on Discovery and won the Daytime Emmy for Outstanding Game Show three times. The revival is produced by Lion USA, the same company that 
produced the original. No host has been set yet, and there may not be a regular host, since stars from the worlds of comedy, film, and TV will get behind the wheel of the cab, according to The Hollywood Reporter. The new cash cab is scheduled to return later this year. So book your trip to New York now, get the person you'll call on your mobile shout-out on speed dial, and be prepared to keep your arms extended at all times. You don't want to miss your chance to flag down opportunity. Ratings, Big Bang hits series low. The Big Bang Theory on Thursday drew 12.6 million total viewers and a 2.5 rating, slipping three-tenths in the demo to mark a series low. And that's the news with Nico for this week. All right, with that, we're going to jump right into the season finale of Walking Dead with the really great episode entitled The First Day of the Rest of Your Life. The stakes keep mounting higher and higher as different stories clash while the group enacts an intricate plan. Well, this finale did and did not go as expected. The episode was everything we love about The Walking Dead, along with some of what we don't. The latter being some of the padding and foot dragging in reiterating stuff we already knew and taking time to get to the inevitable battle just to make it an extra long episode. All of those negatives were entirely outweighed by the pluses this week, however. A genuine attempt to tell some of the individual storylines in innovative ways, a seemingly innocuous cold open that turned out to be very significant, and a good half hour or so of adrenaline pumping action. The climactic run in by Shiva was classic Walking Dead adrenaline filled action. You knew it was coming, you knew it would be awesome, but the weight actually heightened this moment and made it one of the greatest death scenes of the week. The opening with Sasha listening to music and then not seemed completely WTF until you listened closely. The bass filled rumble underneath meant something. As the narrative returned to her again and again, it became more apparent that she was hiding somewhere, and it's either in a moving vehicle or a place where vehicles are moving close by. And then we got a surprise return, Abraham. It was good to see him again, but it had to be a dream, right? This show wasn't going to pull a Bobby Ewing from Dallas twist here and have the whole last season be in Sasha's head. They couldn't possibly do that. But you know, they're just sadistic enough that that could happen, and so I was thinking it, but I was like, no, no, they can't be doing that. And really, I thought for a second that it really was going to be that way. And then I remembered that Sasha had to die because Sonequa was leaving the show to star in Star Trek Discovery. But then I got this really crazy crackpot theory, and for a few seconds, I thought that maybe last the entire last season was going to be all in her head, and we were going to go back to last year's finale, see it again from her perspective, but instead of Abraham being killed this time, it would be her, and this season would be wiped out and as it was all in her head. The great thing of that would be we'd get Glenn back. The terrible thing, the, the fact that the last season meant nothing, and the utter and uncontrollable hate that that would cause for the showrunners and writers for putting us through it. Obviously, that didn't happen, and I'm probably really happy about it. Rather, this was an actual flashback to the moments before that fateful finale last year started. In the weeks leading up to Sunday's Season 7 finale, The Walking Dead had Rick and company acquire everything that they needed to take on the saviors, from allies, including the Hilltop, the Kingdom, the Junkyard Gang, and others, to weapons from Oceanside. And although Alexandria's leaders didn't know it yet, they also had put Carol back in action with an army unto herself. The build-up of this episode had a quite a few significant moments, and one of the most significant and my favorites was when Ezekiel, Carol, and the Kingdom Knights happened upon Morgan planning to attack the saviors all by himself. 
himself. The king encouraged him to join them instead. Alas, Morgan felt he was stuck. Not even the king pointing out that his confidant was wearing Benjamin's armor and should honor him rather than serve himself could convince Morgan to get unstuck, or it seemed that way in the moment. At the same time, my favorite character, now that Glenn is dead, Maggie, had taken over completely at Hilltop in the absence of Gregory. Maggie debated whether or not to lead the group into battle with a great scene between her and Jesus. At the same time, Jadis arrived in Alexandria with the junkyard gang in a garbage truck, no less. She was impressed by the place, and apparently Rick, too. Last week, I called Eugene as the one who would probably die in addition to Sasha, and the episode definitely tried to fake us in that direction, with him saying, if people die today, it's because of the choices they make, and Sasha responding coolly, yes it is. It was indeed foreshadowing, but not in the way that I thought. The saviors finally showed up, with Eugene kicking off the big climax, seemingly sealing his own fate by saying to Rick, will you comply, Rick? And Rick asks, where's Negan? And Eugene answered, I'm Negan. What a sniveling little traitor. Rick gave the signal to set off the truck bomb, but Rick's countermeasures were sabotaged and it didn't go off. It was at this moment that I should have realized the junkyard gang and their treachery, but it wasn't until they turned their guns on the Alexandrians that it really hit me. Again, more traitors. Jadis said they made a better deal with the saviors. And I was watching this week's episode with my sister, and when this happened, she said, Are you kidding me? Which is exactly how I felt, so I, I laughed when she said it. With all apparently lost, Negan busted out a coffin, which we had all by now figured out contained Sasha before he even said it. She took the suicide pill, after all, weaponizing herself into a zombie. It's like a MacGyver-style suicide bomb for this world. Much death and destruction ensued, most of it random extras, of course, and Negan tried to pull the eeny, meeny, miny, mo routine once again, this time with Carl as the intended victim. But silly, silly Negan, he got to his monologue again, and it gave us a chance to get an awesome tiger mauling instead. Of course, it wasn't Negan, but still, it was awesome. And I have to say, the undisputed MVP of The Walking Dead Season 7 finale was Shiva, King Ezekiel's pet tiger. We met Shiva way back at the beginning of the season, but we didn't see her do what tigers do best, kill, until late in this episode. But it was totally worth the wait, as Shiva saved the day by arriving at just the right moment and taking out a savior just as Negan was about to kill Carl. It was one of the most exciting moments of the season, and I would say the best non-zombie kill of the year. Of course, the zombie clothesline scene with Rick and Michonne in the cars is still my favorite moment from the season, but this was a close second with Shiva. Chandler Riggs, the uh, undisputed Walking Dead's best tweeter, shared a bit of the behind-the-scenes magic about how the CGI tiger came to be. While the show was airing Sunday night, he tweeted, When Shiva came in clutch, it was literally a guy in a blue suit jumping off a trampoline and tackling the guy. By Monday morning, he had proof. The tiger was a guy in a blue full-body suit whose leap off an acrobatics trampoline got motion captured and animated into a tiger. TV isn't magic, but it's pretty magical sometimes. AMC shared a behind-the-scenes video with how they pulled it off, which you can find on their website or tv.com, and I highly recommend you go and watch that because it was awesome. Not only had the tiger and kingdom come to the rescue, but Maggie and the hilltop had joined the fray. The scavengers were scurrying back to their dump and the saviors were retreating. Sure, Shiva was the MVP and the best moment of the episode, but I love Maggie and seeing her leading the hilltop into battle was heartwarming, as were her words to Rick in the final moments. Glenn made the decision, Rick. I was just following his lead. 
Along those lines, the episode finished up with Rick and Carl finding Michonne alive, not well, but alive. And in this show, that's a big win. And back at the sanctuary, Negan interrogated Eugene about how he reckoned Sasha ended up dead in the coffin. And Eugene could only speculate she ran out of air. And Negan was clearly skeptical of this. But he let it pass for the moment and walked out onto the terrace and said to his army, So, we're going to war. Obviously, this scuffle was just the beginning act. A bloody appetizer, if you will. But as the episode drew to a close, Daryl found a toy soldier possibly left by Dwight with didn't know scrawled on the back. Maggie and Jesus tracked down Sasha and put her out of her undead misery. Maggie delivered that great monologue and voiceover about how her, Rick's, Daryl's, and everybody's family had actually been formed way back when Glenn had risked his neck for Rick in Atlanta in the first episode. Obviously, this episode was just meant to kick off the all-out war arc, but my guess is that it's going to last all the way until the mid-season finale next year. I really love this episode, and to close out this week's finale, I want to point out a few of the cool things I saw in the episode worth mentioning. One was when Negan served Sasha a blueberry pancake with a smiley face. I'm just going to assume that that was a Watchmen reference. King Ezekiel says, the saviors are a dragon with many heads. I think the metaphor you're looking for, or the mythological creature you're looking for, was a hydra, Ezekiel. A hydra. And Negan actually departed from his practice bravado at least twice this week, and sounded like a real human being and a better villain. So I hope we get more of that next season. And that's where I'm going to leave it for this season. We didn't get any feedback for the finale, so instead we're going to head into the Supernatural review from Tim and Michael on the Supernatural episode, Ladies Drink Free. Michael J. Petty here. Welcome back to the Supernatural segment of the Across Areas podcast, where we're finally back after a few week hiatus talking about season 12, episode 16, entitled Ladies Drink Free. With me today is my friend and fellow werewolf killer, Tim Cook. Hey, it's good to be back after our break, and what better way to start up after a couple week hiatus than killing some werewolves, right? Yeah, I bet to that. Now, this week's Supernatural, Mick joins Sam and Dean on a werewolf hunt, and honestly, I was pleasantly surprised by this week's episode. I thought Mick's characterization worked really well, and the clashing of values between the Winchesters and the Brits has finally begun to come to a head, though I expect this will ramp up immensely before the season's end. Mick working with the brothers as a sort of cast third wheel type character this week worked really well, and he actually proved himself useful, like when he pretended to be a doctor, or when they needed a werewolf cure for Claire. I thought all of that was very well done. Tim, before we get into the meat and bones of this episode, or the heart if you will, where <laughs> what are your thoughts on the use of Mick this week? What worked, what didn't, and where do you think his character is going to end up going the rest of the season. Well, I think it I think it did work. You know, I mean, we have Dean kind of making fun of him at the beginning of the episode that he's, you know, kind of very green about hunting and that the only way to learn is to really pick up a gun, a flannel t-shirt and go hunting, according to Dean. And Classic. what I like this week is that in terms of the actual aspects of hunting, Mick seemed really good at that. I mean, you're right, putting on the doctor's uniform, having the cure. I mean, he was even able to kill the werewolf. So, we see that he is a fairly capable hunter. There is nothing wrong with his ability to hunt, especially when it comes to werewolves. And we saw a guy who was also pretty useful up against the alpha vampire a couple weeks ago, too. And so, I think what we're seeing here is that Mick is a capable hunter, and he's someone that could be an asset to the brothers later on. I think 
what I really liked about Mick this week is his willingness to go against even his own instinct. Because there was a moment there where he's holding a gun to Claire and he says, I know a man, and we know he's talking about Ketch, who would kill her in a heartbeat. And he says, according to my code, I should kill you right now. You want me to kill you right now. And I feel like I should kill you right now. But something is stopping me. Which means that Mick has a heart. And we saw, I mean, he did kill someone earlier in this episode. Someone who very much emulates Claire. Uh, you know, a younger high school age girl. And, and he wound up killing her due to get rid of the monster. And I think he felt a lot of guilt over that. And it's good to see that someone from the British Metal Letters is starting to understand that maybe it isn't so black and white like Dean says it is. You know, Dean says this isn't black and white. And I think Mick, by the end of this episode, started to catch on to that. And I, I, I definitely like that. I think what we'll find is that Mick is the brother's ally against the British Men of Letters uh, going forward. We know that there's going to be more clashes. I mean, they did a throwback this week to what happened earlier when they, to some of the earlier kills the British Men of Letter have done against the brothers this season, some of the times they've uh, cleaned up behind them when they maybe shouldn't have. And so I think Mick is going to be kind of the counterpoint to Catch, and I think that, I think we both understand that Catch is going to have to die at some point. Yeah. And I think that Mick will play a role in Catch's downfall, and if there's going to be any level of working with the British Men of Letters in the future, it's definitely going to come through Mick. Yeah, especially if the plotline ends up going to a place where Mick ends up going back to Britain to start changing it from the inside, which is something exactly. that we could definitely mm-hmm. see happen as well. I would, I would definitely welcome that. I think he's the only character who we have been introduced to who's a part of that organization who actually could enact change. Exactly. Now, going off the idea of difference in ideologies, Mick killed a young girl this week, as you mentioned, Tim, who was transforming into a werewolf. Now, one of the concepts that Supernatural has included in their mythology from very early on in the series was that not all monsters are evil. Where Dean admits this week that he used to always see things in black and white, now he understands that not every monster is bad. I think of Lenore, the vegan vampire from the earlier seasons, or Ghost Bobby in season 7, Benny even from season 8, or of course Garth who became a werewolf back in season Mm -hmm. 9 who they mentioned this week. All of these monsters decided not to hunt, kill, or eat human beings and the Winchesters have allowed them to live in peace as they have done. Other hunters like Gordon Walker, the vampire hunter, didn't like that and we know that the British Men of Letters don't either. But nevertheless, not every monster in the supernatural universe is evil. One of my favorite moments this week, Tim, was when Dean mentions that they helped Magda earlier this season, which I think you were alluding to a little bit earlier, and she was just a scared and abused girl, not a threat. While Mick counters this by saying that it's their code, it's their duty to take out these threats. The editing of that scene was great because it juxtaposed Magda's story from American Nightmare, uh, the fourth episode I believe of this season, with the mm-hmm. character's actual dialogue, including her death at the hands of Ketch, which really made me believe that the brothers are going to find out that the British Men of Letters had killed her this week, but I believe that may be coming now in the future since we didn't actually get that reveal. Yeah. Tim, what do you think of this scene, or the Winchester's philosophy on hunting compared to the Brits? Do you think that they can be compatible? I mean, with them curing Claire of lycanthropy this week, do you think Mick will have a change of heart and side with the brothers, or is he doomed to stay with what he has come to know? Mm-hmm. Well, I think that what we see is, and, and I think that this was the one-week journey that Mick went on in this week's episode that we saw really dragged out for Sam and Dean throughout the entire series, is 
what to do with monsters. You know, we've seen them save a lot of monsters. We've even seen them go back. I mean, we saw Dean go back and kill a couple monsters who were a little bit more than innocent. And so we've seen the brothers have the British men of uh, letters philosophy at one point, which is kill all the monsters and save all the people. Um, and that, and, and, you know, the British men of letters go a little bit further almost in saying that anyone who knows about it has to die. But I think we saw Mick had a one-week journey that took the brothers a couple years to realize, and that's that not every monster is 100% evil and not every monster needs to be put down in the supernatural universe. Um, and so I think that with Mick having seen that this week and Mick kind of getting a glimpse that, you know, not everyone needs to die um, is is kind of a, a big thing. Now, the real question here is how the British men of letters are going to take that. I mean, we know that they were playing around with a cure for uh, lycanthropy in the past, and that's where Mick got the idea and where they uh, kind of figured out how to how to save Claire. Um, but it seems like the British Meta Letters cover everything up. I mean, we saw you saw in the mid-season, they went and they killed everyone who was involved. They they seem to want to cover all of their edges, so anyone who knows about supernatural events also has to die. So whether or not curing lycanthropy is enough for the British Meta Letters. I don't know. I think the British mental letters have gotten to a point where even if they were to cure someone of lycanthropy, if they were if they didn't already know about the supernatural, they might put them down anyway to try and keep the secret of who the British mental letters are and to try and keep the secret of a supernatural world existing because they want to create a world without magic, without any sort of supernatural events in it. Um, Which is interesting people... because they themselves use magic in order to detect these monsters showing up. Exactly. That is true um and so the question becomes how much are they willing to do what are they going to do to to a lot of these people who know about it um and i think that i'm starting to think that the brothers especially after this week's episode find the sin of killing a monster because they're a monster forgivable we saw that they were they didn't like what mick did but they were kind of willing to forgive it a little bit um, but I do not think that the brothers would be able to forgive um, the killing of innocent people merely because they knew about magic. No. Well, and I think even if we look at that whole situation, they, they've forgven Mick for what he's done to all to a point, but they also haven't forgotten it. No, However, exactly. Had it been Claire who they, he had killed, it would have been over. Oh, um, for sure. There, there mm-hmm. been, but because it was somebody that they didn't necessarily know personally, um, they were over to get over it a little bit, which, you know, that, that speaks a little bit to their character themselves, but, yeah. but it also speaks to the fact that um, the Winchesters are very much concerned with, with their family, and they would consider someone like Claire their family. Um, yeah. It, it would be the same with, thing with Cass. It would be the, probably, at this point in the series, the same thing with Crowley even a little bit. Yeah, but, well, I don't know if but, they'd be I mean, it's, it's debatable about him being offed. <laughs> it is debatable, but, you know, even if we looked back the last episode we covered, where Crowley teamed up with Dean, and we talked about this when they had their conversation about each of them getting soft towards one another. Uh-huh. I, I think there is something to be said about that. I'm not saying I agree with it completely, but there's something to be said. So Yeah. Well, and I think the big tell will be how they react to, to the news about Magnus, Magda's death. Yes. And you're right, I did think that was coming this week, but um, we, we didn't find that out, but I, I think that was that's an issue meant for for catch not for mick 
I think what they'll, I think how it'll happen, and I kind of hope this is how it'll happen because I think this would be able to include everybody that catches taken out this season. Would be mm-hmm. if Sam and Dean investigate the British Mental Letters base and they find a kill list and they find files on the people that catches taken out this year. Yeah, that, that would I, be one I, I way to do that it. That would be the way to do it. Um, I don't know. We'll see. I, I hope that's what happens, but because um, I need them to find, I, we need them to find out sooner than later. Um, they yeah. they can't keep being in the dark about this. Well, and another uh, little interesting thing I'd like to just mention about um, the British Mental Letters is that um, I'm becoming more impressed with the show and their ability to kind of uh, track big figures. And what I mean by that is they there's a reference this week when they're driving is that uh, Martin Luther was actually a hunter. Yeah. Or, you know, um, in that he has some old text that the British Mental Letters has and they're using. And so um, if you know anything about European history or the Christian Reformation, uh, that's actually a really cool reference for them to throw in there. So I'm becoming more impressed with the writers and their knowledge of being able to kind of drug up um, a, a little bit older references to Christianity and throw them in there for some of us who know the history. It's it's interesting and it's cool to see in there. Yeah, I completely agree. I think even if you go back to like that whole Hitler plot line, and we talk yeah. about the Thule Society and all of that. Like that in and of itself that they threw in, that's impressive as well because most people don't know that history. Yeah. Now, moving on um, to Claire, I really like seeing her on the show the past couple seasons because it not only created a new family element to the show and for Jody and Alex, but she also provides a link back to the Kripke era and the brothers' past actions and mistakes as well as Castiel's because in a lot of ways, it's the angel-demon war that created her in the first place. Though, I have to be honest, this week's story with Claire felt a lot like a retread of what we've already seen. You know, we've already seen Claire go out and do her own thing, hunt by herself or with people her own age, yeah. all that gung-ho and run into the fight half-cocked only to lose and need saving. I mean, we've seen this. All this is stuff we've seen before on the show with Claire and in some respects throughout the entire series. If you go back to season two with Joe Harville, who had a similar plot line going on at the time with her working with Sam and Dean in spite of Ellen's wishes. I mean, mm-hmm. so it, this is not something that is new to the show. It's something that has been very recurring for a very long time. And to me, it's gotten a little old. I mean, Tim, what do you think about this? Are you fed up with this kind of story on Supernatural, or do you think there's still a place for it? You know, with Sam and Dean getting older, wiser, and more experienced, maybe their perspectives on the situation has changed since they worked with Joe back in their early to mid-20s. I mean, what are your thoughts? Mm-hmm. Um, I am getting tired of this kind of same old plot of... You know, angsty. Well, and and you know, it's not just supernatural either. It's just this kind of angsty teenager goes out and tries to take on the world by themselves, and they just aren't ready for it. Yeah. Um, and I think this plot is taken on by everyone who's ever written a TV show. Um, and and, and it does get frustrating. Um, because we have seen it so many times on Supernatural before, and you're right, we saw it with Joe. Um, one of the things I wanted to mention when we talked about Claire is kind of the change in how Supernatural is written and how Supernatural is handled nowadays. Um, and what I mean by that is Claire, some, Claire made some really big mistakes this week. Uh, she ran off on her own. She got bit by a vampire and she werewolf. got saved by the end of the... You're right, a werewolf. I'm sorry. Um, and and she got saved by the end of the episode, which is something that in the Kripke era, I think Kripke would have sacrificed her in a heartbeat. I think yeah, he would have killed too. her. Um, and I like her character. I like Claire a lot besides the whole angsty teenager aspect. I think she has 
a really cool connection to Cass. She has this kind of family um, connection to the brothers. Uh, she's also connected to one of my, and I think maybe one of your favorite characters, Jody. I love the Jody episodes. She's kind of, in my eyes, a little bit of the new Bobby after he died in terms of like, she's just a really cool character to have around and to see. And I really like the episodes in which they have her on. Um, but I also don't like Supernatural a allowing characters to get away with mistakes like this. Yeah. And the brothers have always been able to get away with mistakes, but everyone else around them, when Gosh. when they make mistakes, ha- has died. I mean, they've killed off Bobby. They've killed off Joe and Ellen. They've killed off so many people in the past. And, you know, we have even seen people get bit before, and their mistakes haunt them. People like Garth, who got bit in Season 9. Um, and he now has to live with being a werewolf. And so maybe they didn't need to go out and kill Claire. I, I'm glad they didn't kill her off. Um, I, I, on the, I mean, I like, like I said, I like her as a character. And because I like her as a character, I'm glad they didn't kill her off. But at the same time, if the show ha- had killed her off this week, um, I would have given the show a lot of, pr- uh, a lot of, you know, props for for having the guts and balls to actually kill her off, which is something I don't think the show is willing to do anymore. We've seen it a couple of times now. We've seen Claire get away from near death. We've seen, ugh, we've seen Rowena get away from from near death experiences now, and we've seen a lot of people escape near death. And um, I I want them to have the balls to kill someone off again. I want them to have the balls or at to least do live with the consequences. Exactly, or at least live with the consequences. And I mean, in a way, when Garth was bit, they did kind of kill him off because we haven't seen him since. He's right. out there, he's alive, but we haven't seen him on the show since. So the consequences of a lot of these actions that people have taken in the past seasons is they either they they aren't on the show anymore. Basically, either they're off screen doing something else, or we don't see them anymore. And um, I think it's I think it's unfortunate that Supernatural is running the same plot but they're not keeping the same consequences of those plots um you know i would give them so much so much um perhaps if they did to joe and ellen uh if they did declare what they did to joe and ellen back in season five well i even i even look back at um more recent deaths like kevin or like charlie and i was pissed when they got killed but i gave the writers props and credit because they actually had the guts to do it especially after making them such important characters to the brothers and you're right that is something we don't really see I mean I and even Claire this week like you said didn't have to live with the consequences of what she did I mean she didn't even really have to tell Jody what happened whereas if we looked back a few seasons ago the werewolf Kate is still a werewolf because she can actually handle it she's living with those consequences of becoming that but but the the brothers didn't kill her either and so I don't know I'm with you Tim I, I wish I wish that characters who made mistakes would be able to live with those consequences that are not mm-hmm. Sam and Dean, of course. And I wish that the writers would have the the guts to kill people off. I'm glad that there are characters that they don't. I'm glad they don't kill off Cass. I'm glad, in some respects, that they don't kill off Crowley. I'm gr- I'm glad that they haven't killed off Mary yet, although I still mm-hmm. think that's coming. But well, well, I think there's something to be said for characters who are there and who are around. I mean, we see someone like Jody. I would be really upset if they killed off. Jody. Yes, I really I like Jody as a character. 
And I I don't think she is. She's part of the Winchester brothers, but I don't think she's significant enough that, I mean, she is significant enough that if you were to kill her off, it would be a big thing for the brothers. But I don't think she has the role in the TV show that demands that she be killed off. She's yeah, one of those she people that can just... Role. Exactly. Um, she's just kind of... She's like um, um, Ghost Facers. She's really fun to see every now and again. We're glad when she comes up in an episode, and then she isn't around for usually the rest of the season, and we don't see that much of her. Um, you know, and so I think that's what I'd like. I, that's something that I would like to see with with Jody, um, maybe even Alex, but someone like Claire. She has been an integral part of Sam and Dean creating this sort of weird hunter family, and she really does represent a lot of mistakes for Cass, and so her death would be um, a really big deal. Now, the other aspect of this is I'm I am glad they didn't kill her this week because I think Cass needs to be involved. If she would to be killed off yes. during a week, um, because I think that that needs to be the plot for Cass to go through is that he didn't really protect her. Um, but yeah, I mean, that's my thoughts on Claire this week. I like seeing her. I wish the writers had had a little bit more guts to make her deal with the consequences or, um, you know, to take it to an extreme and kill her off. But I think what we're seeing is we're thinking a lot, we're, we're seeing a little bit of a lack of courage on the writer's part. I think they've built a, a base of recurring characters that they like a lot and they're willing to just continually re reuse these characters as much as their plots have kind of dried up. And I'm not saying Claire's has dried up, although the angsty teenager thing is getting really old really fast. But um, we see a lot of the same plots from a lot of the same characters. And um, I think they're just rehashing the characters they've already used because they either A, don't want to kill them off, or B, don't want to have to create new ones. Right. I completely agree. And hopefully by the season's end, they will have a little more courage to take a bigger leap. But yeah. fi- finally, let's dig briefly into the werewolf cure. You know, we've seen vampire cures on the show. Dean was cured back in season six. We've seen demon cures. Crowley was almost cured in season eight, and Dean was in season ten. And now there's a werewolf cure. I'm starting to wonder that in terms of monsters who were once human and are now supernatural creatures, not by choice, Every breed of, if every breed of monsters monster has a cure. You know, if this is the case, and it seems that that's a possibility, then this could change the hunting game in even better ways than the British Men of Letters hunting tactics and devices ever could. Tim, my fear here is with this cure is that nothing will change and nothing will come of it. Back in the early season of the show, we know Sam and Dean did everything they could to exercise demons from people so that their hosts did not die. Sam began this doing this regularly last season and only succeeded half the time, and even this season they did it again with the Crossroads Demon JL at the Hunter Asia Fox funeral. Um, you know, they all exercise the demons as opposed to killing everybody who was there. But back in season 8's finale, Dean stopped Sam from closing the gates of hell at the risk of his own life, and part of his sales pitch to Sam was that they had learned enough information to change the tide of the hunting war. So far, we've only seen their knowledge of Purgatory's backdoor to hell once, we've seen the glasses to see hellhounds twice, and we've only successfully cured one demon on screen. My fear with the introduction of this cure is that, like the vampire cure, the brothers will fail to use it to their advantage instead of killing bad monsters first and asking questions later, much like we saw them do with, with demons once Ruby and her knife were introduced in Season 3. Tim, do you have any thoughts on this as well? I mean, I've said my piece, but I'm sure you have an opinion. Yes. 
Um, you know, I think this goes a lot back into what we just talked about. I think the entire reason they had a cure this week is because they didn't want to kill Claire. That's the only reason they had a vampire cure, or not a vampire, again, sorry, a werewolf cure. Um, and I think a lot of these air quote cures are to, to kind of get them out of plot things they want to do, but don't want to have to deal with the consequences for. And you're right, there is a big fear that they're not going to use this. Um, that it was because it was Claire because it was a family member to them because it was someone they knew that they got her out of the consequences of of like you know of being a werewolf and um and there is a big problem with the way that they don't seem to care anymore about that and we heard last season Sam saying I want to get back to you know saving people hunting things and it, it was kind of an admission to the audience that they haven't been doing a lot of saving people they've just been doing a lot of killing things and they've been saving innocent people but they haven't been working very hard to try and save you know the people who are possessed by demons or the people who they could try and cure from being vampires or cure from being werewolves now. Um, and I unfortunately think that this is going to continue. You know, I wish yeah. we could see uh, an American, the American hunters use that as a weapon against the British metal letters of, hey, we can cure vampires, we can exercise demons, we can get rid of all these things, and we can still save the people involved. And that would be, you know, the American hunter's way of really of really counteracting the British metal letters in their way of trying to get rid of all, um, you know, all kind of monsters and magic and demons and angels, like, cause they want to get rid of all of it. And their solution is put everything down. And, um, I think the U S solution could easily be, Hey, why don't we just cure everyone and everyone can go back to living their normal lives or at least as normal as they possibly can. Um, and my fear is that they're really not going to touch us, that it was a plot device yeah. this week to help Smart. save Claire. And, we, and, you know, we talked about it a little bit earlier, but it, it it seems to be a common theme with the writers. They want to get people out of the situation, so they, they create a plot hole, a plot convenience in order to get people out of it. And um, it's unfortunate to see. Um, it's unfortunate that um, in some cases it's good. We saw, you know, we did see a demon cure. Um, we did, uh, we did almost see that at the end of, um, season eight when they were trying to close the gates of hell. Um, and I think that it would really be a big throwback to the Crypt Kiera if we saw the brothers go back and start doing saving people, hunting things, you know, um, and really focusing on saving everyone they can. That's what I would like to see the brothers get back to. That's who they were in the first couple of seasons. Um, they really wanted to save as many people as they could. And there were times when, you know, they couldn't. And I think one of the biggest examples of this is in the first season um, when they run into Meg. Yeah. And her host, she leaves her host. But her host had been thrown out a window earlier in the season and had basically already died. She was carrying around Meg's corpse. And we see the brothers gather around her and be with her host in the last minute, in her last minutes. Because she's kind of still a little bit alive, but they, but I mean, she's gonna she die. Is, exactly. She is gonna die. Um, and, and they didn't know how to just straight up kill a demon at that point. They only knew how to exercise a demon. Um, but at the same time, we saw them sit there and comfort this dying host of a demon. And um, in, in recent seasons, it's just kind of been, 
well, there's two demons there. Let's sneak up on them as fast as possible and stab a knife into them. Um, who cares if the host dies, too? Um, which has been very unfortunate. I would like them to get back to really focusing on saving th- on saving people. And, um, you know, I think, I think there's more of a threat from a lot of these monsters when they have to go out of their way to try and save the person, too. Um, and, and I just wish we would see that again. And honestly, I, it can I, tell more dramatic storytelling. It's more dramatic exactly. storytelling if you're saving somebody as well, because if the monster finds out that you're trying to actually save the person that they've either turned or kidnapped, then it raises the stakes and it makes the implications of everything a lot more intense. Exactly. Um, so, you know, there's a lot of good to be said about this season. This season is definitely on the up and up from the last couple seasons of Supernatural, but there's still some benefits benchmarks that um i wish this the show would hit that they haven't been and um i i think we're seeing a transition back to the crypt era and i hope that um the whatever seasons continue after this one will will carry on the mantle of really following up the crypt era and um kind of bringing sam and dean full circle in in their thinking and kind of giving the audience higher stakes more more payoffs for the characters more um you know more tragedy for us as an audience instead of keeping this kind of level playing field that that the current team seems to want to keep um you know the crypt era is kind of the golden age of supernatural and there have been a couple you know every two or three seasons we see we seem to see a bit of a new era um for supernatural and there's some good and some bad in all of those and uh, I think the closer they can get to the Crypt era, the happier we'll be in terms of reviewing the episodes and in terms of watching them. And uh, I just really hope that uh, they continue to move closer to that and they continue to try and save people. That's really what I would like to see. Yeah, I would as well. Well, guys, that's a wrap, I think, on our discussion for this week's episode. Ladies, drink free. We'll be back next week with the next episode, The British Invasion. So take that one how you will. Um, <laughs> and until then, uh, we'll hand it back over to Nico, and we will see you guys next week. All right, guys, thanks for your Supernatural review. And now we're going to move into the closing. There's no streaming section this week, mainly because I'm traveling and didn't have time to put one together. But check back in the next couple of weeks, and I'll have more streaming recommendations for you. On next week's episode, we'll continue the spring 2017 TV season with a review of an episode of Supernatural from Michael and Tim, and another streaming recommendation along with more news with Nico. Also, DC Nation continues with the season finale of DC Legends of Tomorrow, but no Gotham, Supergirl, Flash, or Arrow, which are all off for three weeks and return on April 24th, so make sure to join us for the DC Legends finale next week. Also, be sure to keep an eye out for Steve, Wu, Nikki, and the rest of the Marvelverse crew doing the Marvelverse podcast and their coverage of the Marvel Cinematic and Television Universes. But for now and most of the season, let's roll Dan's pre-recorded closing. Get at our Across the Airways podcast network website, acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.com. You can check out all of our podcast shows, available as their own individual programs, get the iTunes Store, get Google Play Store. Guys, for the podcast shows, get our network. We have the DC Nation podcast, located at dcnation.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's dcnation.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews popular DC Comics-related TV shows and movies. There's also the Marvelverse podcast, located at Marvelverse podcast. 
www.marvelverseparodcast.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's marvelverseparodcast.acrosstheairways.com, which reviews Marvel comics, related TV shows, and movies. Again, we also have Thronescast, our podcast dedicated to reviewing episodes of HBO's Game of Thrones, which is available at the website thronescast.acrosstheairways.com. Again, that's thronescast.acrosstheairways.com. In addition to these programs, you can listen to the original Across the Airways podcast, which is accessible at acrosstheairways.com, which reviews TV shows not related to superheroes, core Game of Thrones, like The Walking Dead, Doctor Who, Star Wars Rebels, Supernatural, and more, including sitcoms such as The Big Bang Theory and The Muppets. Also, you can listen to Across the Airways, the DC Nation podcast, Thronescast, the Game of Thrones podcast, and the Marvelverse podcast, and the mixed radio station, Code by Jack Stifle, Stitcher Radio, or if you use Apple devices, download the podcast box app. And if you're on a Windows or Android device, you can download our apps from the Amazon Marketplace, and the Windows Marketplace, and a regular Windows or Windows Phone app. Because for how you can contact us to give your own listener feedback on the TV shows we review, provide suggestions on how we can improve your podcast listening experience, or just want to say, do you like what we're doing? Email us at acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Again, that's acrosstheairways.gmail.com. Comment on our Facebook page. Follow us on Twitter, got across their waves. There's no thought in there. It's just across their waves. Join our circle, got Google Plus, or leave us a voicemail by calling 773-809-3363. Again, that's 773-809-3363. Also, when sending us an email, please mention which podcast show you're directing the message to. Give the subject line. Give you our sending us listener feedback you want us to read. God, the air. I would also recommend that you check out our YouTube page, which features trailers for upcoming movies and television events. Along with this content, the ATA YouTube channel is a great source for panels from past Comic-Con, and it will be a great resource to find videos related to the Comic-Con taking place in San Diego this summer to go along with our Comic-Con special. Okay, so once again, for our other ATA podcast hosts, Nikki Amy, Wilkim, Joshua Mercury, James Hayfield, Steve Nostro, and Michael Giappetti, I'm Nico Reistek, and until our next episode, we'll catch you on the airwaves. See you guys, and thanks for joining us for another episode of ATA covering Walking Dead and Supernatural. See ya! Turn to our regularly scheduled program.